We are continuing this series, Seeing Through the Fog. Sometimes our emotions can get a little foggy, but God can help us see how those emotions can lead us directly to Him. He can help us see through the fog. Today, Pastor Javen's wife, Jenny, will be sharing how God can help us see through the fog of anxiety. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. We've been in a series the last couple of weeks uh, called Seeing Through the Fog. We've talked about how our emotions, you know, God gave us our emotions and these emotions can be very prominent in our life and sometimes they can get a little foggy. We've looked at the emotion of shame. We've looked at the emotion of depression. Today we're going to look at anxiety. We'll look next week at envy and then the last week at anger. And we are, uh, we're just seeing how these emotions, when they stir in us, they can actually point us towards God if we let them in. And God can help us see through the fog of these emotions. When we talked about shame, we said that shame, what shame does is it takes the sin, it takes negative things in our life that we have done, things that have been done to us, things that we are associated with. And, and it begins to, to say, that's who you are. It begins to label us. It labels us with a false identity. But we said that God, that Jesus took that shame on him when he went to the cross and he considered it joy, the author of Hebrews said, to do that for us, to scorn the shame of the cross and what comes with that and free us from that. And so we said that God wants to help free us from that shame. We looked last week at depression and we said depression lies because depression tries to tell us that there is no hope. Depression tries to make us think that there's nothing to hope for. But the thing is, depression cannot take away hope from us because it cannot take away Jesus from us. And Jesus is our hope. And we need to allow ourselves to begin to see our hope in Christ. And I've said this every week. We realize that sometimes these emotions, these things can affect everyone deeper in different ways. So we just, again, want to encourage you. If you you struggle in these ways, we have a link on our website if you just... Click the resources tab. You'll see counselors we recommend, Christian biblical counselors that can help guide you through things and walk you through things that may affect you in, in deeper ways. We want to encourage you with that. But I'm excited today that uh, that my wife is going to be speaking to us on anxiety. So would you help me welcome this morning my wife, Jenny, as she comes to share with us. Um, I was trying so hard today not to be emotional, but I'm just by nature a very emotional person, Um, but I was fighting it. In fact, this morning I was watching a video that someone had shared with me and I had to stop it because the tears started coming. I'm like, I can't mess up my makeup. I'm going to be in front of people this morning. And then Ronnie, by goodness gracious, if you didn't get me in praise and worship, uh, you are so right. Um, The enemy does not want you to hear what he has, what God has to say to us today. Um, In fact, yesterday... um, was quite a day. <laughs> um, I felt like I had my message prepared and suddenly I became very anxious about what I was going to wear. So we had an emergency shopping trip and I tried all these things that didn't work. And then later I get home and after I cook dinner, I'm preparing some casseroles for uh, Mother's Day lunch with my mother-in-law today and get the second casserole all prepped and put in the fridge. And when I put it in the fridge, I drop it, it falls on the floor. So I have to clean up my floors and then remake the casserole. And then last night I'm playing video games with the family and drinking my coffee, playing the video game, trying to, you know, be the winner because we're a little competitive. And I dump my coffee all over my pajamas. Um, and I start <laughs> crying. Have you ever like cried and laughed at the same time? And the kids are like, 
are you crying? Are you laughing? And I was like, well, I'm crying. So that, I mean, I'm laughing, so I won't cry. So I um, come to you today as someone who is not a public speaker, but through the strength of the Holy Spirit, I am excited to share with you my story. You hear a lot about our family through Javen when he is speaking to you. And so today it's my turn. <laughs> I love you, babe. That's what he always says to me. I love you, babe. <laughs> but during his series on prayer, he told you about our prayer or my prayer for twins. I had always grown up and I don't, I don't know why, but I always wanted to be a twin. I just thought it would be the coolest thing to have that like built in best friend, but obviously I couldn't go back and make myself a twin. So I thought it would be cool to be a mom of twins. And then also when Javen and I were doing our pre-engagement counseling, and yes, that is a thing and I highly recommend it. We of course talked about our future and our children And in that counseling, we decided on two things as far as parenting was concerned. We decided we wanted to wait five years before we had children. We really wanted to make sure that our marriage was a firm foundation before we took on the responsibility of having kids. And we also decided we wanted to have three children. Why was three our magic number? I have no idea other than I feel like that was the Holy Spirit preparing us for what he knew would become our life and how blessed we are with our three So anyway, I remember um, when I got pregnant, it was almost exactly four and a half years after we got married. (laughs) And Javen suddenly says, I've been doing some math. And I realize now that if we have three kids and we space them out, that by the time the last one graduates, I'm probably going to need some help getting to their graduation. (laughs) So, you know what? Maybe we should just have one child. And while I was willing to compromise and maybe not have three, I knew I at least wanted to have two. Um, But so I decided to pray Um, on the first, let me back up. When I first started going to the doctor early in my pregnancy, the first visit was at eight weeks. I said to the doctor as he was examining me, do you think there's any way I could be having twins? And he said, no, you're not measuring for twins. I said, okay, go back at 12 weeks. And they examined me again. And I said, do you think there's any way I could be having twins? No. Um, in fact, he was like, you're not still, you I never measured for twins. And he said, there's one heartbeat. You're not having twins. Well, when I was 20 weeks pregnant, it was the week before I was going in for the ultrasound. Remember, this was like almost 15 years ago. And at my doctor, they did one routine ultrasound for normal pregnancies. And they thought mine was normal. So I was 21 weeks when I went in for the ultrasound. The week before that, I remember driving in the car, thinking about how Javen had changed his mind on me and only wanted that one child. And so I decided to go above his head. I said, dear Lord, um, I would really like to have twins. And you guys, it was a simple prayer. I just said, I would really love to have twins if I can handle it. I said, it would be really cool if one was a boy and one was a girl. And that was the end of my prayer. It was just that simple. And of course, the next week we go in and we get the news that we have a baby A and we have a baby B. And of course, one is a boy and one is a girl. How good is our God? In that moment, I felt so incredibly loved. I broke out of gratitude, excitement, and expectation. God loved me in the details. Javen wept. (laughs) But it was for other reasons. (laughs) 
But now if you'll fast forward, just a few weeks later, the twins came and they were six weeks early. They had to spend two weeks in the NICU, which was the hardest two weeks of our lives, having to leave our babies and not be with them 24-7. Then we get them home and our world turns completely upside down. We went from having no children, having complete command of our time, determining what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, to like having no control. We are at the beck and call of two infants. um, And when they want something, they let you know they want it. Um, because they were infants and because they, I'm sorry, because they were preemies, we were under doctor's orders to feed them every three hours. So we were going through 16 bottles a day. We had, if they were sleeping, we had to wake them up to feed them. If you do the math, that's 16 bottles a day. We were having to prep and wash. Both of them struggled with reflux. So we were constantly having to do laundry And then I just want to even talk to you about the amount of diapers that we were going through and having to change. It was a lot, but what a blessing. Of course, sleeping became an illusion. And you guys, I like to sleep. In fact, um, when Grayson was younger, they did this thing at school that's like for Mother's Day. And it said, my mom is good at, and he put, my mom is good at napping. So... Sleeping really is, I mean, I'm good at sleeping and I need it, but obviously that does not happen when you have two infants who need you. And so I had struggled with mental health before, but during this time, I had an all-time low. I wasn't sleeping. I was exhausted. I was also struggling with guilt and with shame. I kept wondering why my body wasn't able to serve its purpose. Why couldn't I carry my babies for six more weeks and save them from having to be in the NICU and be connected to cords for the first two weeks of their lives? I felt unworthy to be their mom. Feeling completely inadequate, I pondered suicide. One day I even reached for the bottle of painkillers that I had from the hospital from having had my C-section, planning to take as many as I could. But when I reached for the bottle, and you guys, I'm a pretty organized person, it wasn't there. It was nowhere to be found in that cabinet where I had it. So I remember crying out in despair. I was in so much emotional pain and I reminded God, I said, God, when I prayed for twins, I said, if I could handle it, I'm not quite sure if you heard that part or not, but I said, if I can handle it and God, I cannot handle it. And guys, he heard me, but I felt so bad. He had filled the desires of my heart, but I didn't feel like I could handle the challenges that came along with that blessing. That's what the enemy told me. But when I cried out to God, he heard me and he didn't punish me for questioning him or reminding me of his, of my prayer to him. Instead, he helped me. He provided for me. Eventually we got into a routine and we stuck with it. When people offered help, I actually began to accept it. Eventually I began to adjust and I began to feel competent Mind you, I never felt excellent, but I did feel competent. And then right before the twins were about to turn two, and I felt like we were just about to get some more freedom because they were about to potty train. They could feed themselves. You know, we were just making progress. They were becoming more independent. They were sleeping. 
I found out I was pregnant with Grayson. I was whew, overwhelmed. I actually remember telling Javen's family and his father-in-law, we were at Sunday lunch and we told them that we were pregnant again. And Mr. Proctor literally dropped his fork on his plate. And he goes, are you kidding? <laughs> no, 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 sir. <laughs> I spent the entire pregnancy full of anxiety, completely depressed. I remember there being times when I would sit down with the twins who were toddlers and we would be playing and I would have to walk away because I would be overwhelmed with grief and sadness. I was scared. I was completely frightened. <clears throat> but two weeks before Grayson was born, Pastor Casey preached a sermon from Craig, Craig Crochelle's Christian Atheist. And it was from chapter eight. He had been doing a series and this one was on chapter eight, which is the chapter about worry. And guys, that message that day is a defining moment in my life. The biblical truths that he shared reminded me that I am a Christian and that I serve a God who can meet my needs and there is no need to worry because God will provide so luckily before Grayson was born, I was in a better situation. I felt mentally prepared. I would like to tell you that after that Sunday, I was set, that I was set free. I would like to tell you I remained free, but I haven't. Javen did not ask me to share with you today because I've mastered the art of avoiding anxiety. <laughs> Instead, he knows I actually happen to have a lot of experience in that area. So please know that as I share with you this morning, I don't share from the perspective of being an expert. I just want to share my struggles with you and some strategies that have worked for me and my prayers that together we can find freedom from the burden of anxiety. So the dictionary defines anxiety as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. For those of us who are Christians, we can add to this definition. Anxiety is a tool the enemy uses to steal joy, to stifle life, and to secure his mission. Those of us who struggle with it understand it has a crippling power. Its grip on our minds can become so tight that we can't think of anything else. And once it's taken hold of our minds, it impacts our physical health as well. We can't eat or we eat too much. We can't sleep. We feel trapped. We feel stuck. We sweat. Peter 2.19 says people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. And I'm afraid too many of us have allowed anxiety to become our master and we become its slave. It steals our freedom. We lose our joy as worry takes over. And guys, that's not what God has intended for us. Did you know that worry actually derives from the German word worgen? Worgen means to strangle, constrict, and choke. Strangle, constrict, and choke. If you are worrying about anything in your life, it's going to actually steal the quality of your life. One of the symptoms of an anxiety attack is difficulty breathing. Again, because that worry is choking us. John 10, 10 tells us that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
And if he can distract you by filling your minds with anxious thoughts, he will choke the life out of you. If he can distract you by filling your mind with anxious thoughts, he will get you off course. If he can get you to put your trust in yourself instead of your God, he will constrict you. If he can convince you to let your flesh control you, he will eventually strangle the very life out of you. Anxiety in and of itself may not seem like a big deal, especially to those of you who may not struggle with it. But again, it's just simply not God's will for us. Plus, anxiety can lead to other issues if we allow it to settle in and become a part of our lives. John Piper once stated, think about how many other sins are connected to the root sin of anxiety. Anxiety about money will cause you to hoard or steal. Anxiety about succeeding will make you irritable and impatient with those around you. Anxiety about relationships will make you withdrawn or indifferent toward other people. Anxiety about what others think about you will make you lie or stretch the truth. Listen to this last part. If anxiety could be conquered, a mortal blow would be struck to many other sins. Maybe that's why the enemy is working so hard to keep us in a state of anxiety. A global pandemic, supply chain issues, inflation, a war, the decision to vaccinate or not, broken relationships over disagreements. Our global community has enough issues of its own. And then we have our individual ones too. And if we dwell on any one of them, we'll become greedy, irritable, impatient, isolated, or dishonest. Too many of us, and maybe it's just me, I don't know, but I know that for me, I can allow anxiety to become second nature. Sometimes I just stay busy living from one stressful moment to the next. I get in survival mode. If I can just get through this one day, if I can just get through this one event. We cuddle up with our familiar feelings of fear because if we aren't worried about something, then what will occupy our thoughts? If anxiety isn't consuming us, what will? The fear of the unknown forces us to grip tighter to the very thing that's weighing us down. And again, that's not the life God has planned for us. Some of us in here today need to let go of our fear and drop our blankets. Instead of being consumed by our busyness and our worries, we need to be consumed by the Holy Spirit. We don't have to live in a state of worry because it's become our familiar place. We instead need to live in a place of peace and joy because that is God's will for us. In other words, we can allow the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy to have what he wants. Or we can work on accepting the abundant life that Jesus Christ has to offer us. And yes, I said work. (laughs) Because I believe there are steps that we can take to avoid anxiety and to live life to the fullest. Please understand, as Javen has said throughout this series, that I understand there are different levels of anxiety. Some of us can apply the steps I'm going to talk to you about today, and it might make a huge difference. However, for some of us, it's more complex and it's more complicated. Please know that I believe mental illness is a very real thing. And just like we seek professional help when we struggle with physical pain, there are times we need professional help for issues like anxiety and depression. And there is no shame in that. I also know, however, that we serve a God who heals. And he doesn't just heal our physical pain. 
He can heal us when we struggle with mental health. You guys, every time in this church that we sing a song about healing, while I am singing, I am whispering prayers for people in my life I know who need healing physically, but I also every time declare healing over my mental health. I have to. So my first step, other than speaking healing over yourself, sorry, that wasn't in my script. Okay. Um, (laughs) My first step, other than speaking healing over yourself and receiving it, is to discipline your mind. Discipline your mind. And by discipline, I don't mean punish. I mean train. Just like we, well... Okay, so not me, but like some of you uh, train your bodies physically. You go to the gym, you work out, you prepare your body for the um, endurance that it needs for whatever situation you may be in sports-wise. I was going to give you some examples here, but sports, physical training, really not my jam. Um, In fact, a few months ago, I got a text from a friend who seemed so excited because she saw my car at the gym. She's like, oh, I saw your car at the gym. You must have been working out today. I was like, so no, actually, I was at the nail salon. (laughs) Which just happens to be near the gym. (laughs) But maybe one day, maybe one day I'm gonna get my life together and I will go to the gym because it is important to take care of your physical health. But anyway, just as we focus on training our bodies, We can train our minds too. And it needs to become a priority for us. When our minds wonder, as they often do, and they want to focus on things beyond our control, we have to rein our minds back in. When our thoughts drift to negativity and endless what-if questions, we have to switch gears. I love Philippians 4.8. Because it tells us exactly how to train our minds. In this verse, we are told to think on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. And then the peace of God will be with you. Some of us by nature are very positive people and some of us aren't. And those of us who aren't have to, again, train our minds. So for me, one thing I do is I listen to music. I listen to music that is positive, that reminds me of God's work, and it becomes a part of my mentality. Charles Spurgeon said, I believe that in a man's life, the great secret of strength and holiness and righteousness. And don't we all want to be strong, holy, and righteous? The secret to that is the acknowledgement of God. As the thought of God dominates the mind, then we can expect to find a life that shall be true and really worth living. If anxiety and worry are dominating our mind, our lives are not what God has intended for us. He wants us to live lives of peace. Romans 8, 6 reminds us that the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So who is reigning in your mind this morning? Who are you allowing your thoughts to focus on? Those of us who've struggled or know someone who has realized just how much anxiety can steal away from us. It can make us withdrawn. It can make us be less of a mom or less of a wife or less of a friend. So how do you allow God to dominate your mind? We give him access to it. We take our thoughts captive 
instead of letting them take us captive. 2 Corinthians 10.5 is a verse that we use very often in our house. And it says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets, it up, sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Over the years, our children have struggled with anxiety as well. And sometimes it's little things. This past week, it's been standardized testing. Um, sometimes it's been the first day of school, even traffic. However, they've had big fears as well. Anytime there's news of a school shooting, that strikes paralyzing fear into one of my children. So, of course, we help them combat these thoughts. We pray with them. We equip them with the truth of God's word. And this is one of the verses that we've used, 2 Corinthians 10.5. But for a little mind, that can kind of be a hard concept to grasp. How do you take your thoughts captive? And so we've explained to our children that it's like you have a little jail cell in your brain. And what you do when the enemy, and they are from the enemy, these thoughts of fear, when they come into your mind, you bundle them up, you gather them together, and then you put them in a jail cell in the back of your mind and you lock them away. And every time the enemy sends a negative thought into your brain, you combat it with a positive thought. The world tells you to be afraid, but God says not to be afraid. He says to have courage. And if we fill ourselves with the truth of God's word, then we are able to combat the things from the enemy. If we train our minds by becoming in tune with what he has to share with us, it's easier for us to fight this battle. But we have to put forth effort. We have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Like Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace. Oh my Lord, how good does that sound? Perfect peace to all those who trust in you and whose thoughts are fixed on you. And you guys, the next few steps I have for you, other than speaking healing over yourself and disciplining your mind, the next few steps come from the same verse that you're all familiar with. If you've ever looked in the Bible to see what it says about anxiety, then you've read Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And it goes on to say, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So prayer. It says prayer and petition. So for a moment, I just want to look and see what the difference is between those two things. If you follow me on social media, you saw me recently post a quote from Craig Crochelle that says, prayer reminds us that we are not in control and it draws us closer to the one who is. Prayer, you guys, is simply communicating, conversing, and communing with God. And it's a reminder to us that he is in control and we don't have to be in control. We're not going to be in control. So worrying is not going to do us any good. Praying is an act of worship because when we do pray, we're admitting to God that he is in control. We are declaring his authority and admitting that we have none. Worrying actually distrusts the promises and the power of God, but praying reasserts our reliance on him. And let me ask you this, who do you believe in more? Yourself or your God? If you believe in yourself, you're gonna let yourself worry because you think you can do something about it. But if your trust and your faith is in God, you know there's no need to worry because he is in control. 
When we rely on ourselves, that chokehold gets stronger. But when we cry out to our Savior and we admit we can't do it on our own, we live in freedom. And you guys, he is always listening. All you have to do is start the conversation and it doesn't have to be complicated. Just tell him what's on your heart. But sometimes we can take it a step further and we can petition. So petition is giving a specific request. Okay, and we see this in the story of Elijah. In fact, James 5, 17 reminds us that Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. That was a petition, a specific prayer that Elijah had. Guys, worrying is the result of carrying a burden that we were never meant to carry. Instead of carrying that burden, what we need to do is let that burden shape our prayers into petitions. When something is worrying, we need to speak it and turn it into a specific prayer. And then after we speak it, we need to release it. You've all heard, let go and let God. So simple, but so important. So don't be afraid to speak your specific petitions to the Lord because there's nothing too big for him. and There's nothing too small for him. He turns my one baby into two. He parted the sea. He made the sun stand still. Ask and you shall receive. Petitioning God is intentional prayer. And when we pray specific requests, our faith will increase because it will become abundantly clear when he is moving. The next part of the verse says, with thanksgiving, we need to be grateful. Have an attitude of gratitude. Some of the most anxious times in my life are when I don't know what the future holds. Can y'all relate to that? We are anxious when we don't know what the future holds, but we have to remember who holds it. Instead of trying to predict or even manipulate God's will, we need to focus on what we can control. And guys, one of the things that we can control is our attitudes. In fact, scripture tells us that being joyful is God's will for us. How many of us wonder, what's God's will? What does God want us to do? What step are we going to take next? I remember being in college and trying to figure out the rest of my life. And I was like, God, can you just write out your plan for me on a piece of paper, wrap it around a brick, and then let it drop from the heavens? Because that would make my life a lot easier than trying to figure out what your will is. But the Bible tells us right here what God's will is. Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's his will. Be thankful. Find something to be grateful for and let it increase your joy. And it's so interesting to me to see the consistency here in scriptures, how being grateful and how praying go hand in hand. How can you be thankful though when things are tough? My question to you is how can you not be thankful? There is a God in heaven who knows your name. He knows your sin and even in your sin, he still died for you. But if you struggle with anxiety, please know that you were in good company. In James 5, 17, as I referred to earlier, James tells us again that Elijah was just like us, a human Elijah, though, is very well known for his effective prayers and his acts of faithful obedience. When Ahab became the king of Israel, as recorded in 1 Kings 16, 
<clears throat> the word says he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. And we all know the kings that came before him had done some pretty evil things, but Ahab beat them all. <clears throat> then he married Jezebel, who was a devout follower of Baal. And together they began raising temples for Baal throughout Israel, which obviously aroused God's anger. So God, that's when God sends Elijah to announce that he's going to punish Ahab by sending the drought. So Elijah prayed it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain for over three and a half years. But while it wasn't raining, God took care of Elijah. God directed his steps toward a brook where he could find water. He sent him a raven who supplied him with food. God sent him to the widow whose supply of oil and flour never diminished. When the same widow's son died, God used Elijah to bring him back to life. Meanwhile, while God is working through and for Elijah, the enemy is also working. Ahab's queen Jezebel has hundreds of God's prophets killed, which leads Elijah to courageously confront King Ahab, asking him to make a decision, follow Baal or follow God. And Elijah wants to put both gods to the test in order to demonstrate to Ahab who the one true God is. So there are two altars prepared with a bull and both are ready for the sacrifice to take place. But the one thing that humans don't provide that day is the fire. And the challenge is for the prophets of Baal to call on him to bring fire to their altar and to see if he responds. And Elijah's gonna do the same with his altar, but he's gonna call out to the one true God. Well, the word says that Baal's prophets cry out to him from morning till midday and nothing. We worry, nothing. And so Elijah, being the human he is, taunts them, which I think is hilarious. He goes, shout louder. Perhaps he doesn't hear you. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's traveling. And so the prophets of Baal begin to shout louder. And they even slash themselves, but still nothing. You worry harder. You don't sleep. You don't eat. And nothing happens. Elijah calls out to his God. But before he does, guys, I love this because Elijah is human again. He wants to take it a little bit further. He ups the ante. He calls for four jars of water to be filled. I'm sorry, for four jars to be filled with water. And he has those dumped on the altar. Three times he does that. That's 12, I can do that math, 12 containers of water that are dumped on that altar. And I don't know much about science either, but I know that wet wood does not burn. But yet this altar is drenched. And Elijah calls out to God. And what does God do? He sends down fire. And I think we have the scripture up here, or maybe we don't. But basically it says that the fire licks up the altar. It licks up the wood and every bit of water that had poured out from it is gone. God is in control and he can handle every situation that you have. But guys, the story doesn't end there. After 
we see the power of God. Elijah calls for Baal's prophets to be killed, and they are. And Jezebel has an issue with that. And she threatens Elijah's life. She says to him, or word gets to him that she says, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, she says to him, I'm coming for you. I'm going to get you. And so Elijah, this man who had literally just called down the fire of God gets scared. He gets anxious. He gets worried. In verse three, it says he was afraid. And guys, based on what we've just seen from God's word, his fear should have simply been his signal that it was time to pray. But instead of praying, he worried. Instead of petitioning, he tried to make his own way. Instead of stopping to give thanks to the one who had provided and protected him for so many years in so many creative ways, he thinks he needs to take care of himself. Even though he had just been a part of so many miracles, Elijah thinks he's done. So he goes and he hides. And he says, I have had enough, Lord. He says, take my life. I am not better than my ancestors. And then he lays down under the bush and he falls asleep. And throughout 1 Kings 19, Elijah struggles with fear. And as we watch his response, many of us can relate. How many of us have said, I am done. I have nothing left to give. I can't do it on my own. But watch how God responds. And I do believe we have the scripture, yes. It says, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. So he got up and he, he ate and he drank. So I want you to see there that God allows Elijah time to rest. God knows our physical bodies have to be taken care of before he can meet our spiritual needs. He feeds him. He replenishes him. And then it goes on to say, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights and he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went to a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him after his physical needs were fulfilled, after he rested, after he was replenished, then the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah, who had prayed in earlier situations, who had petitioned in earlier situations, who again had watched fire rain down at the altar, he worried, he was anxious. He wanted to give up. He disengaged. He separated himself. And we too may be in a similar situation. We might be running from an uncertain tomorrow that could be caused by a marriage that seems to be falling apart. Jobs that no longer fulfill us. Children who ignore our advice. Our parents who are too controlling. Diseases that threaten our bodies or even our lives. Past hurts that continue to haunt us. Why are we here? 
in these places, why are we here when we serve a God who heals, a God who provides, a God who helps us forgive? Why are we here living in this state of anxiety? And if you continue to read the story, you will see that God sent a storm, an earthquake, and fire. But Elijah didn't see God revealed in those things. Instead, God heard Elijah in a whisper. In a still, small voice, again, God asked Elijah, Why are you here? After this interaction, God sends Elijah back the way he came. And he explains his plan, the one he had all along, to protect Elijah. Guys, Elijah went through this journey only to end up going back to where he had come from. And I want you to know that if you're struggling with anxiety this morning, that God wants to take you back. He wants to help you take control over your minds. He wants to pull you into his presence where he can love on you, where he can comfort you. He wants to rescue you because he delights in you. You don't have to be where you are. But I also want you to know that it's okay if you're there. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I want you to understand that I know the cycle of anxiety as a Christian. Because when I get anxious, I feel guilty. Because I know I'm a Christian and I know I shouldn't worry. I should let go and I should let God. And so the enemy says, well, what kind of Christian are you really? And it creates this incredibly difficult cycle. But again, God's word has the answer. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, my friends, is a lie of the enemy. You have fought this battle for a reason. But you don't have to keep fighting. I'm going to pray over us this morning and then we're going to go back into worship. And if you would like to come forward and pray to God about anxiety or depression or anything else that may be trying to dominate your mind instead of God, I would love for you to step out. I would love to pray with you. I'm sure any of our pastors or their wives would love to pray with you. But please do. If you don't step out now here in this place, step out. Don't fight this battle alone. When you read the scriptures, you see relationships. God wants us to be in relationships with people because they can help us fight battles that we are not supposed to fight on our own. And then please know again, I would love to pray with you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the wisdom that you give us through your word. I thank you for your word of truth. Father God, we know that the enemy tells us lies, that he wants to fill us with fear and anxiety. He wants to push us down so we can't do the work that you've called us to do. But in this house this morning, I pray for freedom. I pray that your spirit would be, that we would encounter your spirit and walk into your presence that I know is here. And I pray that you would break strongholds off our lives, Father God, that you would help us to realize that you have a life full of joy, ready for us to experience if we'll just surrender to you and to your goodness.
Father God, I do pray for your forgiveness. I pray for any time that I have worried or been anxious. And I thank you, Lord, that you are in control and that we don't have to be, Father God. And Lord, I pray that this morning that we would surrender to you, that your work would be done. And that when we leave this house this morning, we would walk out of here free and that you would continue to equip us and help us to remain free. Lord, we love you and we praise you again for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.